0: Security Ledger podcasts reach an audience of thousands of information technology and information security professionals each week. If that's an audience that you'd like to reach, think about becoming a Security Ledger podcast sponsor. To find out more about sponsoring our podcast, point your web browser to securityledger.com sales. Hello and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, editor-in-chief at the Security Ledger, on this week's episode of the podcast number 159.
1: So when you democratize the ability to kind of challenge our the, the, the truth in our perception, it, it's going to have an impact in very, very scary ways, I think.
0: The voting village at the recent DEFCON conference in Las Vegas put the spotlight on security holes in voting equipment. But are parties who want to influence the outcome of the 2020 presidential race in the United States even interested in voting machines? After all, there are many ways to affect the outcome of an election, and many more ready tools to do so than wonky 20-year-old electronic voting machines. Take social media. Facebook's former chief information security officer, Alex Stamos, warned this week in an interview that Facebook's Instagram photo-sharing service might be weaponized during the 2020 presidential race. Stamos, who left Facebook in 2018 and now serves as the director of the Internet Observatory at Stanford University, said that Instagram's picture-first platform would pose little obstacle to the likes of the Internet Research Agency, which, Stamos notes, employs teams of people to craft sophisticated visual memes that could be shared on platforms like Instagram. Or what about deepfakes? With machine learning technology now able to morph video and audio to suit the needs of anyone with a laptop and some time on their hands, there's hardly any limit to how a campaign narrative might become distorted or driven off course. How worried should we be? In this episode of the podcast, we sat down to talk with someone who should know Sam Small is the chief security officer at the firm Zero Fox. In this interview, Sam and I talk about the myriad threats to the integrity of our elections and whether our public institutions as well as private platforms like Facebook and Twitter are up to the challenge of policing the integrity of democratic elections. I started off by asking Sam to explain what deepfakes are and how they might be used to distort public perceptions about a person or event.
1: I am Sam Small. I am the Chief Security Officer at ZeroFox. To start with some terminology, for some of your listeners, maybe that that aren't familiar with deepfakes or haven't heard about it, but haven't seen one. The concept is basically, um, there's there's a particular form of machine learning and artificial intelligence called deep learning. And, uh, and, and what people have done and demonstrated in the past is that uh, you can use deep learning to manipulate source material video and create uh, fake content or video that looks very realistic because it's, it's based on some original source, uh, but has been manipulated in a way uh, to really test your perception and, uh, and fool you into thinking that either a, a person said or did something in a context in which they didn't participate at all, or what they did say or do is uh, manipulated in whatever way the adversary chooses. So, so again, the, the kind of the two basic forms we see of this over and over again are um, perhaps maybe a video of me speaking, and then an adversary has used um, some of these techniques and algorithms to manipulate me into maybe just changing one sentence out of out of the conversation that I gave or maybe wholesale the whole conversation. And that kind of manipulation is, is one is one thing we see quite often. The other thing is, is really just that face swap where you have a, you know a source video A with an actor kind of performing whatever uh, kind of activity it may be
0: Cooking. How about cooking? things like cooking and yeah
1: sure 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 exactly <laughs> sure thank you for helping me as i struggle here but because um,
0: that's usually what it is right sam <laughs> of course yeah of course yeah
1: yeah um so yeah so sure someone's cooking in the kitchen and then i take a lot of maybe and and and, and then maybe i take a lot of different source material i have of paul of you um of various pictures of your face or other videos i have of you and then basically what we're doing is meshing or morphing um, those features uh, of your face onto that source material. So now we've created a video where it looks like Paul was actually doing the cooking in the kitchen, uh, even though you were never there. So again, these types of videos can be created with different levels of efficacy, depending on you know, the amount of time you want to invest in them and, and the skill craft of, of the people involved. But we've seen this, you know, some of your some of your listeners may have seen this in, in numerous cases. Recently, there was a there was a, a Mark Zuckerberg video that was uh, created and disseminated, and I believe he, he kind of stated that uh, you know, he had so much data on so many people and he was going to leverage this, this, uh, this power and this data for, for nefarious purposes. <laughs> Likewise, there was, a really, uh, there was a really great one done. When I say great, just, I mean, it was very effective. There was, there was one that, uh, that was done uh, with Barack Obama a couple, uh, maybe a year or two ago. I forget how recent all of this is. I mean, deep fakes have only been around for a couple of years. And it already feels uh, like it's been around for, for quite a while. Um, and so uh, so certainly there is a lot of concern around, you know, how this might affect uh, and how it could be used to manipulate public perception. There was a, there was actually another video just recently of Nancy Pelosi, uh, which, which we would call a shallow fake, not really a deep fake. Uh, and, and, and her video uh, is, she actually didn't said everything that was presented in the video that was, that was released and doctored. However, the audio track was manipulated uh, to make her speech sound uh, slow or garbled. And so, again, the, the, the idea there, the intent, was to make it seem like Nancy Pelosi um, was maybe having uh, health issues or issues related to her, her, her age, et cetera. And, uh, and in that video again, it was very convincing and especially convincing if that fits your narrative. Um, and it was shared by many prominent public figures as being real until it was, uh, debunked. Um, but really that goes, that really goes, I think, to the key of this, of this issue, which is, um, you know, deep fakes are really an attack on our perception and the old adage of, of seeing is believing. And so it's pretty dangerous from, from that perspective. So what we did at Black Hat, uh, so our, our CTO and our, uh, and our principal data scientists they demonstrated how they were able to streamline the creation of deep fakes just to show how easy and cheap uh, it has become to do. And then we also released a number of classifiers publicly for researchers to use to help in the identification of deep fakes. So there's a lot of different mechanisms and techniques that can be used in the analysis of a piece of video to determine if we think it's been doctored or if it's not authentic or, or if it you know uses any of these techniques that we that are known to be used in generating a deepfake deep fake videos.
0: I mean the intent of these obvious uh, often is is not necessarily to uh, convince everyone but merely to sow doubt or as you said an alternative narrative about what happened to um, muddy the the picture with with what looks to be you know something that runs counter to you know the truth basically the the actual narrative about what happened.
1: That's exactly right. And I don't want to start a controversy on your podcast but if you think back to kind of the moon landing and the video of the moon landing, right? So there's certainly, you know, you can find a community online that doesn't believe that it took place and that, that it was real. And and, and so if you want to travel down that conspiracy theory road a little bit, you could say, well, okay, but, you know, what would you have to have in terms of people and resources and time to create something that that looked like a, a moon landing? And and, and and so the difference between now and then is, you know, back then you would need, you know a hollywood studio and a budget and some talented special effects people and rigs and all that kind of stuff today you just need you know maybe a computer and some time and and some motive and so when you democratize the ability to kind of challenge our the the, the truth in our perception it it's going to have an impact in some very very scary ways i think
0: Right. And you can say like, well, everybody, because the power is democratized in theory, everybody, you know, there's detente because, and everybody can do it to everybody else. But in fact, that, that doesn't really work out because not everyone is committed to a narrative of truth. Right. So, so so the people who are more than happy to sow confusion, disinformation and and chaos, they probably don't really care if you use it back on them because you're just further sowing chaos and disinformation and confusion. So there isn't really detente.
1: Yeah, that's right. And really, It really depends on what someone's incentives are as well, right? You know, people might have, you know, obviously we're talking about this in a more more political context, but what we've seen is some people who manipulate perception and spread more traditional types of misinformation, even just maybe fake news stories and things like that, they're not always doing so to really manipulate public perception. At least that's that's not their primary intent. Sometimes the primary intent is just to make a quick buck. Right? So if I know that I can release some misinformation and it will affect a particular stock, or I know that it will, you know, change the way that, that people are prepared to spend money on a certain type of product or something like that, then that might be all I care about, even though, again, the secondary effect might have, you know, a real impact on our political discourse or our understanding of current events or things like that. And so and thats that's where it gets especially tricky.
0: Is there evidence of, of uh, cyber criminals uh, turning to deep fakes either for uh, you know extortion or, or like you said, uh, kind of manipulate uh, either markets or public opinion in, in a very calculated way?
1: I think we're still in pretty early days and, and, and maybe those things do exist. I don't know of any particular instances I can point to uh, with, with authority and say this was definitely, you know, uh, this video was produced by this actor for this purpose, uh, etc. I, I think you know a lot of what we're still seeing is is a group of people who just have some real interest in this area and they're trying yeah. to advance the state of the art, etc. Yeah. Um, but it's bound it is bound to happen, and certainly we've seen exactly um, those 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 particular instances and motives uh, in the more. Uh, and the less sophisticated forms of of disinformation. So I I think we've yet to maybe see that with with deep fakes maybe that it maybe for instance I don't know who created the Nancy Pelosi what I would call that that shallow fake video um, yeah. but certainly it seems like you know it could have been someone who's just doing it for fun but <laughs> I don't know who would maybe waste the time going through those efforts uh, unless their their goal really was to embarrass uh, Nancy Pelosi or maybe again maybe a little bit of reverse psychology of, uh, of of kind of trolling the parties that would be gleefully you know accepting of that narrative that that Nancy Pelosi is either drunk or losing it
0: draw them in yeah exactly yeah. you know DEFCON just happened there was the voting village and obviously with the election you know in 2020 coming up next year there's a lot of attention to the security of the voting system from the voting machines on up. But I wonder, I I know, I think it was Santa Clara or some county in California just put out a alert just talking about this kind of secondary risk, which is, you know, could municipalities, whether it's, you know, elections uh, offices themselves be the target of attacks and their presence online, their social media accounts and so on, weaponized to spread disinformation, whether that's about poll closings or, or what have you, and it's kind of you know, use them as a instrument to sow chaos and, and take advantage, perhaps, on lack security on their part, and how that might even be more effective than trying to go out there and, you know, hack an individual voting machine or a certain precinct or, or polling station. Is that something that um, we should be worried about? And if you're a, you know, secretary of state or, or election official, you should be thinking about?
1: Definitely. And so we've done a lot of work directly with political candidates and campaigns and organizations, whether they be kind of state or municipality or federal organizations, et cetera, um, that have an interest or that have a mandate to provide safe and fair democratic elections. And I think uh, you really hit the nail on the head. So again, going back to you know when I was when I was a grad student and we would study you know voting security or election security, we were really primarily interested. In the ballot box or the voting machine, right? And how do I provide, you know, a safe, mm-hmm. uh, verifiable voting experience, perhaps? But you know, you know, back then when I was a grad student, you know, Facebook either didn't exist or was in its infancy, and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so all of these secondary concerns and and the ecosystem has really grown, and 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 so now when you think about protecting an election. And protecting democracy, you really need a defense and death strategy, right? I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise us in the yeah, security right. community that uh, you know it's, it's not you don't just put all your marbles in one basket. And so, so while those things are still very important um, in terms of uh, you know providing security at the election, uh, at the polling place, and et cetera, you you you're exactly right. Now we need to also worry about. Uh, the campaigns themselves and the supporting apparatus around elections and making sure that uh, we're doing everything we can to identify issues that may be affecting, um, the delivery of a safe, effective election. And so you brought up some very, uh, good points and risks, uh, where either maybe, um, uh, someone manipulates, um, either through defacement of, of information on an official web page or an official social media presence. Uh, but then also this is where impersonations come into play. So it's it's really not terribly difficult for me to register a domain name that looks believable or similar to uh, to an existing organization or candidate and, and, and either spread information, you know, misinformation that way. Uh, additionally, there can be issues where that are more related to geographic locations for instance. So, you know, for instance, let's say there's Uh, let's say someone goes online and says that there's some sort of uh, violent act occurring in the neighborhood of a polling place, well that might dissuade people um, from visiting that polling station or even just uh, even, even just, even just convincing people that there's major traffic problems and that the lines are are ten hours long. So, so yes, this is this is this is monumentally important to again the delivery of, of these state democratic elections. And we've done this work not only in in in, in the U.S. But in other countries as well. We've helped uh, across Europe and South America with uh, with the delivery of these elections and their protection. Um, and it's, it's actually something we offer here at Hero Box as well. So, so we, we have. Customers that fit that persona and that profile, and we will continue to do that, especially as we ramp up uh, towards the U.S. Uh, 2020 election.
0: Okay, then, uh, you know, final question. Um, if you were to sort of um, uh, judge or, or rate kind of where where we are in terms of uh, be preparedness for uh, what's to come in the 2020 election and the types of... Um, you know, campaigns, disinformation, or manipulation that that may be directed at the uh, U.S. voting public. What's your sense of of how prepared we are uh, relative, maybe to uh, you know, 2015, 2016, where obviously we were unprepared?
1: Sure. So I think in some ways we are certainly more prepared. However, the challenge has become more difficult, and so while. A, and I don't I won't get into kind of my own personal beliefs around this and this, it's all debatable and again the quality of the data is questionable and the ownership of the data is mm-hmm. questionable but if, if for if, if hypothetically we say that Russia was involved in launching uh, a very effective and widespread disinformation campaign against the United States presidential election of 2016, um, then I think I think we are actually we, we've done we've done a pretty good job of educating people and organizations that are involved um, in maybe identifying or dealing with this, some, of this, some of those issues. However, now that Russia potentially, or at least the belief that Russia um, was able to successfully do this in the 2016 election, as we approach 2020, we have to realize there's going to be a lot of copycat activity. And, so, and from that perspective, it's become even more challenging. And so um, now we're not just talking, again, about maybe nation-states, trying to interfere with the elections of of other countries or adversarial relationships. But maybe you even have some homegrown kind of disinformation campaigns and and techniques and things like that. And, you know, one way I would say we won't be as easily fooled by the same tactics and and, and the same players. I think there are more tactics now and more players. And so, you know, generally, I think we are still very... um, underprepared for these types of activities. And, you know, if things go well, um, I think part of it is maybe just due to the fact that uh, we got lucky or that uh, we didn't have adversaries that were um, either successful or motivated enough to, to really cause problems. But I think, you know, certainly some of the major platforms, you know, they're aware of these things and they have set up emergency response teams, and they have stocks that are, I think, dedicated and prepared for dealing with uh, spread of misinformation and and attacks on our election security and safety. But I think uh, individual campaigns and more grassroots organizations or local organizations, I think, are woefully unprepared for, for these types of events.
0: Uh, we mentioned, uh, you know, the ma- the major platform vendors could Twitter, Facebook, uh, and so on be doing more to keep the public informed about activity on the network or to stomp out, you know, what seems to be coordinated inauthentic behavior. I think is the term.
1: Right. So we we do see that they they do a lot, and we certainly see, you know, quite it's it's, it's not uncommon for us to see uh, uh, some information released from any of those major platforms that they've identified a major campaign and they dismantled it or removed those those accounts yeah. or that that content. I think the real issue is even, even when those platforms are 99.99% effective at identifying and removing that content or deleting those accounts, um, the sheer scale and volume of content posted to these platforms means that there's still a significant amount of, of danger and risk that exists there. And so... I don't work for those organizations, and so I try to ascribe positive in- intent when I, you know, when I when I don't have any information to tell me otherwise. So, you know, I think they're probably they're probably doing a great job, but is it enough? I would I would say it's, it's probably not enough. But then you really ask yourself it's, it's it's the old question in security of well, how much money am I supposed to spend on this problem? Right. <laughs> and uh, because ultimately you could convince yourself. If you didn't, you know, if, if someone said you had an unlimited budget, you could convince yourself to spend unlimited funds and unlimited time on this. So I, it's a really tricky question. Maybe it's above my pay grade to provide a, a clear, concise answer there.
0: Sam Small of ZeroFox, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast about deepfakes and election security. Thank you. those was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. Sam Small is the Chief Security Officer at ZeroFox. He was here to talk to us about deepfakes and the challenge of securing elections.